Good evening and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. We're discussing the uh, housing emergency this evening. Uh, 40 years ago, the right to buy was introduced. And since that time, 2.6 million homes have been, council homes, that is, have been sold off. And today, over 100,000 families are living in temporary accommodation, while over half a million homes have no permanent resident. To make matters worse, the wrong kind of housing that is being built across the country uh, is... Uh, unaffordable and uh, many people who are on average incomes therefore can't uh, access it they can't afford to rent they can't afford to buy and, and they're basically stuck uh, unable to get a mortgage and unable to afford the rent in the private rented uh, sector much of that accommodation that is being built is uh, being sold off plan and is ending up as airbnbs or left simply left empty actually for wealthy investors uh, to accrue, accrue value and then sell it on uh, subsequently. Furthermore, we're seeing council estates being uh, demolished up and down the country for regeneration. Uh, but when they've been regenerated, uh, very few of the properties which are put up in, in place of them are genuinely uh, affordable. And so the, the council tenants are basically left in limbo and forced to move uh, elsewhere. But, you know, instead of knocking down properties, we the climate emergency demands the refurbishment, not not demolition and uh, bringing long-term empty homes back into use and retrofitting council houses would obviously help to tackle the climate uh, crisis. But uh, people are beginning to start to, to fight back. And uh, on October the 9th, there is a number of street actions up and down the country to highlight these issues and a national rallies plan for that day as well, calling for empty homes to be used by those living in temporary and overcrowded accommodation. Now, joining us uh, this evening uh, to discuss this issue is Will McMahon, who's the uh, Director of Action on Empty Homes. Will, it's, uh, it's a major problem. Uh, how did we get to this uh, situation and what can we do about it? It is a huge problem and it's getting worse. Um, I was just looking at a report that we put out two years ago and there we were pointed to 86 families being in uh, 86,000 families being in temporary accommodation. And now it's over 100,000. So it is growing year and year and year on year. And how do we get here? Well, that's that's a, a really interesting question. I think one of the one of the things that's happened uh, to this country over the last forty years is that we stopped thinking of houses as homes to live in, and we were educated into trying to think of them as assets. And I think if you look at television these days there are lots and lots of programs which are about how you can improve your house how you can improve your asset how you can make more money out of it and that's just the the result of like 40 years of shifting in cultural thinking about what homes are for and that was really kicked off i think by the uh right to buy it was really kicked off by the notion that it was your property and it wasn't held in common and what we've seen since then is that people have been educated to think, for example, that council houses are not places that you want to live in. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I grew up in a council house and it was great. And the people I lived next door to were great. And, you know, we had our troubles, but who doesn't? Um, but we've been educated to think council housing is a bad thing. Private ownership is a good thing. But curious thing happened. And I'll, I'll finish on this point. The curious thing happened was that all those council houses that went went right to buy are starting to have started to pop up in the rental sector and have been bought up by investors as rental. So the idea that everybody would become a homeowner was a myth and is a myth. And in fact, what's happened is there are fewer homeowners now than there were 
in the decade gone past and we're entering a mass rental economy much like uh, we had in the victorian period sorry will we've lost chris so i'm gonna get lizzie and see if lizzie can take over for a while <laughs> That's okay. yeah, we, we love it we love it when a plan comes together we're the a team <laughs> so if you if you talk about the uh council housing for example you were saying mm. that uh, there are less ho less homeowners there mm -hmm. are less council properties mm -hmm. so where are people living uh they're they're living in very highly priced rental flats and houses so you know, um, it's basically you have a lease on the home where you live, which is called rent. And what's happening there is that they are, this is developed an economy whereby uh, developers can build stuff um, for rental. And you've seen like organisations like John Lewis and other corporates saying we're going to get into house building for rent. Yeah. So we've got a rental economy now. It, it, that's what's emerging. And if you're living in a rental economy, with the rights that tenants have, um, then you're incredibly insecure. Yeah. You're really, really insecure. So the other thing that's happened is that rents have got so high is that people are stuck because they can't actually accumulate the money to buy the notional house that they might like to own. So they're stuck in renting forever. So they end up at the end of their you know, working lives without any capital. And that's a massively serious problem. Yes, it is a massively serious problem. Uh, I know that Germany, um, actually, most people, is it 90% of people in Germany rent? They yeah. don't own own their houses at all. And is that, uh, do they have rent uh, limits, you know? Yeah, um, they do. They have rent caps, yeah. And they, they have really quite serious controls on what landlords can do. You know, and that's why it works there because they've got this kind of they've got a kind of a corporate European structure where rental isn't seen as a threat because the state operates to make sure your rent doesn't become too high and that your your rights as a tenant are protected and the landlords have a duty to make sure that your your house your flat is looked after properly. So it's a whole different system. So they think of it very differently over there than we do. Now there are attempts being made. To break that system up. I mean, particularly in Germany, in Berlin, we've seen a lot of protests going on there about big investors coming in to try and take over blocks of flats, try and monetize them for profit stream in the way that we see here. But there's a lot of resistance to that, a lot yeah. of resistance to it because the culture doesn't accept it. Um, but here, you know, um, it's just kind of crept upon us over the last 20 to 30 years that we've ended up in this position where. Basically, you know, you can't get a council house. It's, they just, they just can't get them. A huge long waiting list, waiting list of a million, and um, and you've got a position where the only option is to rent, and the rent is exorbitant uh, in many places around the country. So, you know, your your average working person is in a bit of a fix. Let, let me put yeah. it like that. Let me put it like that. So, it, I, I'll talk about Islington where I know because I'm, I'm involved in a campaign there. Um, but you can say the same across many cities, actually. In Islington, you have to earn um, you, you you have to earn huge amounts of money in order to be able to get a mortgage. The average wage in Islington is thirty five thousand. You need four of those wages to be able to afford a mortgage for your average house in Islington. I mean, it's extraordinary what's happened, um, and so people are trapped. 
they're trapped and they're they are trapped at the behest of building societies who are getting and banks who are getting money out of mortgages and the rental economy these big landlords in particular who are soaking up their income you know so the average working wage doesn't go very far and even um if you look at the finances it's Mm. You know, a circular economy, but it's not benefiting. It's not benefiting many people. Um, if you pay, you're you're working and you rent a house. Uh, the house rent is um, nine hundred pounds a month. Mm-hmm. So you can only afford to pay five hundred pounds a month of that. Mm. So you approach um, universal credit or mm. whatever it's called, or tax credits, and they pay the remainder of the Mm. £400 a month extra. So the landlord, the person who owns that house, is getting £900, 400 of it from the state and 500 Mm. of it from the person renting. And so that is going into whatever they want to spend it on or perhaps it's going into a tax haven abroad and often they're living abroad. What's what's happening is really interesting because we've got a, a bifurcated housing economy, explained to two, basically, um, and you've got people who are asset rich, and over the last ten years they've become richer and richer and richer, yeah. and people who are asset poor who are getting poorer and poorer and poorer, yeah. and so this is where we're getting the, the the growth of the phenomenon of Airbnb, yeah, of second homes of you know of what are known as desirable coastal and rural areas where people are buying second homes and turning them into holiday flats or calling them second homes or calling them Airbnb. They're switching them around all the time. And what's that starting to do is to lock people out of local housing markets. Yeah. yeah. So, and, it, and it affects them. It affects everybody across the country. This isn't just a big city thing. It's really important. It's not a big city. It, it's certainly not. I spoke to you on the People Before Profit event that uh, in my village, I live in the middle of nowhere <clears throat> in the glorious Cotswolds. And mm. uh, in in my village, say there are 500 houses in my village, mm. 250 of them are empty because they're, they're assets belonging to somebody who's already got, you know, four other houses somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and nobody, nobody who was born here can afford to live here. Yeah. And there is a there is another because it's like there's a there's a pyramid of yeah. purchases. Right. Right at the top. You've got some of the international funds, global funds. Yeah. Who Lloyd's Bank are doing it now, aren't they? As well yeah, as they, are. they are. They are. Yeah. That's exactly what's going on. And these international funds, they, they came in, they, they put something like 250 million on the table in London last year and they didn't want to buy big posh flats big big you know mayfair style they wanted to buy the smaller ones because they see them as an income stream that is absolutely reliable well they are and from from the british state as well from from, you know the taxpayers or bank of england depends who you think supplies our money yeah well that's the bank of england of course yes by the way i'm back i'm a camera's working now as well so uh, well that is a good win I was just going to say, just on the on the issue of, of of the public curse and the the cost of housing and how it's kind of ballooned. I remember mm. I was uh, chair of housing in Derby uh, back in the early nineteen nineties, uh, just be just after, should I say, the 
deregulation of the private register sector had come in. And you'll mm. no doubt remember, Will, when George Young was, was challenged in the House about how will people be able to afford these deregulated rents. And he said, well, yeah. if people can't afford to pay market rents, housing benefit will take the strain. Then if you yes. fast forward about 20 years or so, and the housing benefit bill was around about 24, 25 billion, I think it was, they then started saying, oh dear, well, we need to start restricting them, the amount of housing benefit that people can actually get. And, um, you know, of course, what they did was to penalise the victims of a, of a policy failure. Both governments actually are responsible for that. I remember having a, an argument in the Parliamentary Labour Party um, in 2010, 2011, when the welfare reform bill was going through and Liam Byrd came in and told us that we should abstain on the welfare reform bill and uh, uh, and actually get behind the um, the benefit cap. And I was saying, well, that's the last thing we should be doing. If we're serious about welfare reform, what we should be arguing for is a regulation of rents in the private rental sector and a massive council house building and acquisition program. Mm. And uh, well, anyway, you know, we, we know what will happen. But there's clearly been a massive political failure, it seems to me. I don't know whether you would agree with that on both parties to actually address the housing crisis that we're facing. I think it's fair to say it's a cross party disaster, actually, mm. because at the point at which you would have hoped if you have kind of social justice in, in, in your kind of sites, which we as a you know we as a campaign do, we're a very social justice organisation, you would have yeah. hoped that what um, 13 years of, of the new Labour government would have done would have been to build more council houses, not sell more than the Conservatives. And that's what happened. You know, so... so yes, they built less council houses, I think, didn't they, Will? I mean, I checked Yes, on they this did, they did. They, they, they built they fewer, built fewer council houses. Fewer the council houses, and they, and they sold more through Right to yes. Buy. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so I mean, it was an acceleration of what what accelerated the process and also it was accelerated by you know the um the almo you know the arms length yeah. management organization and the devolution of local housing council housing and stock to registered social landlords um and that's interesting seen... so you're, you're you're not 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 a fan of almos then because i mean we in derby we did actually uh uh, embark upon a, an arms yeah. management arrangement. Yeah. Uh, it's a wholly owned council company. I was yeah. chair of the major cities housing group during uh, the uh, mid-1990s, and we were trying to find a way of being able to uh, raise the necessary capital investment to yeah. improve the, the stock, etc. When When New Labour came in, I was hoping that we'd see a renaissance in council housing, but it was the same regime as we've just said. And we therefore had to find ways, innovative ways, of being able to raise the finance. Now, we went down the uh, arms. We wouldn't go for the large-scale voluntary transfer. We, we, we went for the Almo on the basis yeah. that it was a wholly-owned council company. And that enabled us to access, you know, tens of millions of pounds to bring the council housing stock up to a decent standard. No, that's now, true. I wouldn't have chosen yeah. that. But, I mean, yeah. I'm just interested in what you're saying, that you're not a fan of, of Almo's well, per se. So. Well, because we, we it was a it was a it was an understandable maneuver by local authorities to get their hands on much needed cash. There's no question about that. But also, then that was the opportunity was to take taken to get it out of the system altogether yeah. Um, yeah. by some authorities. And 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 so, you, if you'd stopped at Almo and you said, yes. okay, this allows us to access the funds, then you'd go, well, that's quite a neat maneuver, actually. But for many authorities, that's yeah. not what happened. Yeah. And, no, um, no. So there's a big problem there. And then you ended up with, you know, people living in, I mean, I'm sure people watching this 
will have been watching the ITN news pro- news broadcasts on the housing crisis, right? Which are an amazing piece of broadcasting, I think, for a commercial news channel, really, going into people's yeah. houses and going, look, what's happening here? This is a disaster. Why isn't something done about it? And that's because the, a lot of RSLs, a lot of the big social landlords have floated off into, you know, they'd be stock market quotable yeah. if they were private. Yeah. yeah, And they've got people earning loads and loads of money running social housing who have about who have very little relationship with the person who turns the key and goes into the flat that's got water coming down the light socket you know so so there's a big issue there that we have to think about in terms of what are rsls about you know and a lot of them came and grew in that that kind of cross-party period when the housing your housing was going was getting worse and worse and nobody wanted to reach for a solution for it because there was money being made i mean we should be frank about that there was money being made in this process oh, yeah. by lots of different people well, housing who benefited from it yeah housing associations changed didn't they i mean they were kind of a nice value added i think back in the yeah. day uh, and they were very often very niche local yeah. uh, but then they became kind of you know very much a, a, a national entity in that sense and became very very commercially oriented. I remember uh, John Healy being very proud of himself, and uh, to be fair to him, he was, it's not a very low bar, though. I mean, he was, he was the best housing minister under the new Labour uh, government, uh, but as I say, it is an incredibly low bar. You had to be pretty pretty sort of crap to, uh, you, you know, uh, if you were pretty crap, you would still be still be the best uh, sort of uh, housing minister. But he, um, he was pretty proud of himself for... Uh, Securing a, a sort of uh, a renewed commitment to council housing in the fag end of the of the uh, Gordon Brown era, mm, and I mm. think they were going to build something about ten or twenty thousand council houses, very pretty small uh, beer. Mm. Uh, mm. But he he was saying he had to fight sort of tooth and nail, just it's sort of like he said, sweat blood to yeah. even get that little commitment. But we need so much more than that. I mean, we need hundreds of thousands, and it's interesting, isn't it? I remember reading a a, a historic sort of an old. Uh, Tory manifesto from 1951 where Harold Macmillan, I think he was their housing spokesperson, was committing the Tories to building 300,000 homes. Yeah, and I think they, they managed it. Yes, they, they actually did. built more yeah. council houses, although I think the quality of them left a lot to be uh, desired. But, you know, but there was yeah. a consensus then, wasn't it? Can we get back to that consensus, do you think, or, or what do we do on that score? I think it's going to be a challenge. Uh, and But I think what we have to do is we have to build a kind of a national campaign that links people living in coastal areas who can't get housing with people in Tower Hamlets who can't get low-cost housing. And we have to say, look, we've all got a mutual interest here in devising a housing model that isn't just kind of given over to the developers to make lots of money out of. So what we have to do is we have to get people in different parts of the country to recognise their mutual interest. They might be feeling it differently in different ways, but actually, if we can build that movement and we can build people on the ground in local communities taking action, saying this is not good enough, yeah, then we start to get uh, a national picture that can actually meet the challenge of what the journalists on ITN have done. You know, I mean, it's kind of outrageous. Uh, some of the conditions that people are living in. It's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, there is a, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of social harm on a grand scale on what's yeah. happening to people with housing. Not just people who've got damp coming down the walls or people, you know, who, uh, you know, are thinking, I need a bigger flat. And there's tons of people living in overcrowding. But there are so many issues with housing yeah. where people are being socially harmed by it. 
that it must be possible to bring together those people under common uh, under a common cause to because you know i'm a big believer that you know actually politicians change their minds when they see people moving yeah it just it doesn't come out of you know you know a politician doesn't get out of bed one morning going oh i must do this it's if they can see stuff going on out there and they think <laughs> we've got to address this otherwise we're in trouble Right. Yeah. And you can see what's happened with, you know, the, the, the new planning bill and all this stuff. Right. They've obviously the government has misjudged that massively. Yeah. Because they suddenly realized that a lot of their own voters are incredibly unhappy with it uh, yes. because they take they forgot about that. Right. So what we want is an equivalent of people who are on low incomes or median incomes who are saying this is killing me. This, you know, that my rent's killing me. My housing conditions are killing me. You know, I can't my, my, my children can't find anywhere to live. You know, the rent's phenomenal for them. And actually, you know, my child can't find somewhere to live. Yet down the road, I know there are two or three empty properties, right? So we need yeah, to yeah. work out a way. And that's part of what we're trying to do of knitting this stuff together and saying, look, we are all on the same side here. It's the expression of a different problem. The same problem is the housing crisis. It's expressed differently. But we've got to work out how to get people to collaborate because it would be a very, very powerful force. You know. can you, can it was interesting, wasn't it? Just on the point. Of, oh, sorry, go on, Lizzie, if he was going to say something. Go on. Can you list the people that are involved with your action on the 19th of October, isn't it? Yeah. So what, we, what we're trying to do, and we want to broaden it even further, you know, we want as many people who agree that there is, you know, we've got basically what we're saying is there are half a million properties in the country without a permanent resident. We've got 100,000 people, families in temporary accommodation. They should be in those homes. Yeah. Why aren't they in those homes? Yeah, it's really simple. Yeah. You know, well, that's one of the things we're saying. And so we've got um, defend council housing, disabled people against cuts, because, of course, if you're going to renovate houses, then you can make them accessible for people. That's yeah. what we should be doing. You know, there's Homes for All, the Labour Homelessness Campaign. We've got John Bird from The Big Issue, who made the most extraordinary speech at our first campaign rally in April. It was a remarkable speech, actually. Um, we've got the Radical Housing Network, Renters' Rights London, Social Housing Action Campaign, Greater Manchester Housing Action, People Before Profit, Streets Kitchen, Street Storage, Yes to Fair re Redevelopment, which is a really interesting campaign in Southwark. These people are saying we're not against development. We just want it to be fair, yeah. actually, so local people yeah. get some of the, the development. <laughs> and then we've got Unite Union London and South East, and we've got Unite Community London and Eastern region who have been fantastically helpful, actually, uh, the community union. So we're building a coalition and we want more people to get involved in that coalition in two ways. You know, we want them to get national organisations that have an interest in housing. And there are lots of them um, to come onto the coalition. And then we want people on the ground to do stuff on the ground so we can have a base and, and a national coalition that can have impact. You know, and if people are thinking, well, you know, what issues are you talking about? Well, let's just think about people who need housing. It's, you know, it's half a million people who are sofa surfing. It's the 100,000 families in temporary accommodation. Yeah. It's all the people who are homeless on the streets. It's all those, uh, for example, people who are migrants and refugees who need accommodation. Yeah. Now, this country bears a responsibility for yeah. what's been going on in Afghanistan. Yeah. We have now got a refugee crisis that is phenomenal, right? People are in no position to say, there are not enough houses for to both house the homeless in this country and refugees. There are more than enough. Yeah. There are more than enough. So, you know, we want re refugee and migrant organisations, safe places for, for women, victims of domestic violence. 
we need, we need anti-homes could be used for that. You know, there's a really, obviously, people coming out of the prison system who need somewhere to live, you know, where they where, which is safe for them because that's what they need. You know, people who are, you know, have drug drug dependency problems who need a safe place to be, you know, that's clean and tidy and they can be encouraged to look after, you know, and get themselves back together. And all of these people have an interest in these half million properties, in particular the quarter of a million empty homes. So we think it's got huge potential and um, we're still working it. You know, you, you'll, you'll, both of you will know when you're doing campaigning, you have to work at it to try and get it right, don't you? It doesn't, you know, it just doesn't appear. No, no, absolutely. Uh, and it's great that you're, um, it's great that you're building this uh, uh, coalition because mm. that's crucial, it seems to me, to bring people together to maximise the, yeah. the impact and to, you know, to get civil society, pressure groups, trade unions, etc. Uh, you know, hopefully that will will force the sort of politicians to to listen. But mm. um, just on the uh, just on a uh, on another issue, just in relation to uh, the role of local authorities. Now that the cap has been lifted on the housing revenue account, there's no yeah. impediment other than right to buy, of course. And you don't qualify for right to buy for for fifty. Well, to start to qualify for fifteen years after a new property has been built, as you'll know. But local authorities, it seems to me, are not stepping up to the plate in the way in which they should be doing i don't think i mean what's your thoughts about what local authorities ought to be doing because not only could they be building obviously subject to the availability of skilled tradespeople, and they would have to bring mm. people in to train what if need be but it could also buy as used to happen couldn't they in the 1970s the old municipalization uh, program just simply buy properties on the open market to address if there was well, you know if there's a shortage yeah some of them are thinking of doing that some of them are thinking of doing that Yes, last. Well, I'll be banging on about that for, for bloody years, you know. So <laughs> yeah. no, there, there are there are some authorities. I think Sunderland's one of them. Well, that's great. Um, are, are you are limited to say who? Are you limited to say who they are, Will, or or is it sort of? I think Sunderland are definitely are definitely are definitely doing something in that area, and a number are thinking about it, right? And I think we should need to encourage them to do that. We really do need to encourage. Well, definitely. I mean, and I think uh, yeah. what would be great. I mean, back in the day, I was uh, involved in the local government anti-poverty forum, and mm. uh, there were some great initiatives uh, uh, being undertaken by local authorities. And uh, you know, sometimes an initiative would be adopted by one local authority, and then you'd have officers in other local authorities saying it was not possible. But then you were yeah. able to point to these other local authorities and say, "Well, hold on, well, they're doing it in Hull or in yeah. Newcastle or in Bristol or whatever." And and yeah. so I think if we could get one or two local authorities to to break cover and to sort yeah. of make, you know start making a genuine contribution, uh, given that yeah. the shackles have been lifted now, I mean we were calling for that for God knows how long, and now it's happened. So yeah, there should yeah. be you know it should be going forward. Yes, there is a, there is an issue for some of them is that they they haven't got anything to raise capital on. That's right. They've um, already because, yeah, but surely the rental stream though. Surely the rental stream. Covers. I mean, that's the beauty of housing. The rental stream will virtually cover your, your development costs. I mean, subject yeah, to being able to put the land. Rental in. stream left because they've yeah. uh, they've given given away all, all the housing portfolio. Uh, oh, yeah, I hear that, but I mean, you know, but start again then. Why can't yeah, they just no, start no. again? There's nothing to stop them well, doing that, is there? Well, because I think because I think that um, they've they've lost the skills uh, and the inter office skills, especially. Um, oh, the councils, uh, it's a long time since the councils have been a, a responsible housing provider um, in, in some That's cases. That's true, Lizzie, but of course, back in the day, before council houses existed, nobody had those skills, did they, back then? And they, they, they learned to be no. on the job. 
No, you need to. No, I think there's two things going on here. One is, uh, I, I, you know, that the councils can do it if they, you know, if they want to put their minds to it. That's one thing that's going on. The other, the other thing that's going on is that because of the kind of huge cuts to local government over the last 10, 15 years, you know, um, people, you know, their skill sets have disappeared. I mean, yeah. you know, the idea of a local authority having an architect's department. What? yeah you know and then you're then you're fighting with a developer and the lawyers are saying look we're fighting a developer here it's going to cost us a fortune yeah you know let's just let's just kind of let, let's just give in because we don't we can't spend that money on fighting that developer you know and there are yeah. so many of them but i think what 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 we need is for um a series of local authorities to kind of have a bit of ambition around housing yeah, and say actually there is a different way that we can do it. I mean, we are we're talking, and you know, I can't say who they are, but we're talking to a couple of local authorities who we're saying, look, you've got large numbers of empty homes in your local authority. You've got communities, different communities who need housing. Yeah, you've got basically you can get a local Keynesian effect by having a borough-wide campaign around getting housing, empty homes occupied. So you win on the you know the temporary accommodation bills. You get people into decent housing. Local trades actually benefit. Yeah? yeah, but what you've got to do is you've got to make it an ambitious campaign where the empty homeowners, yeah. and they're not all they're not all kind of villains. Do you know what I mean? Some people no, just don't know right. what to do with their houses. You know, yeah. um, where you can get everybody and say, look, the empty homeowner will get a rental stream, get them in there. People will get local work. People will get housing. But it has to be led by the local authority in alliance with the community, because. Sometimes what happens um, when local authorities get involved with communities is they tend to take over a little bit, yeah. yeah, but actually you do need the communities to do the work and to get engaged because they can actually let you know about problem areas and what they might want to bring to the table in terms of revivifying the area they that, live in. You know, that's so what that, we've been doing. Is that what you've been doing? Yeah, community building. Right. It's, it's a huge thing. It's been going on for about mm. six months now. And uh, we've got all sorts of grants that you can get. At the moment, the grants are only available for planning uh, to help you with the costs of planning, mm. to go through the planning uh, committee, etc., which is very costly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but they... I think it's replacing what the councils should be doing, isn't it? Of course. To a great extent, you know? No, um, it is. It, it is replacing what the councils should be doing. There's no doubt about that. And I yeah. kind of have, you know questions in my head about that you know about that whether that should be that's what should be happening yeah. you know and I think that really because they find themselves in a bit of a bind but I think they could at least talk a better game and they could yeah. at least explore more avenues and that's what we want them to do uh, because you know effectively they've been s stitched by national policy which says you have to build these many these these many houses if you don't build the houses we're going to take responsibility off of that off you and they don't have the money to build the houses, and they don't, maybe they don't so have, they have to left. let developers build. Yeah, they are, and it's and, and it's it's and yeah. so you end up with all these flats going up that nobody can afford. No, and that's mm. that's the that's. Well, a I, I just think there's a lack of ambition in in local government. Um, no, there you know, is. The days of municipal socialism is long gone, and I think yeah. uh, you know New Labour has got a lot to answer for because it hollowed local government out. And well, it was Thatcher tick box, then, then. it was this tick box mentality. Well, indeed, well, Thatcher before, but I mean, you know, Tony Blair was a continuation of Thatcher. She said it was yeah. that was her greatest achievement, Tony Blair and, and New mm -hmm. Labour. Um, and I just think we need to somehow recapture that spirit that yeah. um, we saw with uh, local authorities like Lambeth, like uh, like Clay Cross, 
mm. just up the road from me in, in Derbyshire, you know, with the Claycross uh, Rent Rebels and so on. But mm. and just in terms of uh, the points that we were touching on uh, in my garbled introduction when I was getting terrible feedback, and so apologies again for, for, for all that. But um, uh, this point about demolitions and local authorities now mm. locking down council estates and places yeah. of kind of you know, regeneration and all that. Notice. But it's interesting, isn't it, that I think it was earlier this year that the uh, Royal British Institute of uh, Architects um, came out in opposition, didn't they, to yeah. demolition? Yeah, Arch architects uh, opposing demolition. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's the impact on the climate is absolutely phenomenal. That's right. And, and this is where the councils, if the councils, you know, there's a space for them to move into, stop knocking down viable council estates. Yeah. Stop doing yeah. it. You don't need to do it. And part, part of the problem of how they've got there is that councils were, were, were changed from organisations that were kind of servants of the community that ended up seeing the people who lived in the area as customers. Yes. You know, and, yeah. and actually, if you want to... if you want revenue stream. Revenue streams, yeah. So if you want to improve your revenue stream, to put it bluntly, you get rid of the poor people and you get other people in, yeah. right? And so you knock down council estates and then you put up flash flats where you're going to get more more council tax from them. And so, you know, and it's it's been a disaster, actually. Yeah. And so now that that's a place where councils can say, OK, we're going to stop doing this. There is a climate emergency. Knocking down these council estates doesn't make sense. Retrofitting and refurbishing them does make sense. Yeah. And it will actually say it will help meet the climate challenge that we all want to meet. And it will also keep these kind of estates within kind of common ownership, if you like. And so it's a really obvious thing to do. It's a really sensible thing to do because also you then save on your temporary accommodation bills. You know, so it's that's where they can really step up. And that's what they should be doing, in my view. That's what they should be doing. That's one of the things. Absolutely. I mean, and it's a it's a win-win situation, isn't it? That it seems yeah. to me, uh, because yeah. you know you are you know you're tackling a social need. Um, you know, you're bringing properties back into use as well as you know. I'd like to see councils building as well. But I think this 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 the point that you're making about you know action on empty homes that is a major mm. uh, problem, and you know bringing them back into use is is crucially important and then making sure they're properly retrofitted and uh, mm. insulated etc that generates jobs you know reasonably well-paid uh, jobs but also yeah. tackles fuel poverty which is a major problem in this country isn't it? You know, exactly unable yeah. struggling to pay their fuel bills exactly there are there are you know houses and some of the older houses across the country who are deeply in need of a retrofit anyway yeah. right and it's quite hard to retrofit a house when somebody's living in it uh, but what you could do is you could start retrofitting all the second homes that could be retrofitted yeah. yeah and that would be a really sensible thing to do and it would give them longevity and it would mean that you're you know you're uh, meeting the climate challenge to that to that degree and it you know it would be a really really obvious thing to do you know the the, the problem is is the is that the mentality is now business mentality in terms of housing, housing as asset rather than homes for communities to live in. And that's the big challenge. That's one of the things we've got to reverse. Now, local authorities can help do that, I think. Local authorities can help do it, uh, but they can only help do it if they're, they're working alongside communities and will work with them. You know, yeah. the, the, the problem a lot of communities have is they felt they had things done to them rather than for them. Yeah. And they you know. <laughs> yeah, no, they had quite a lot, yeah. 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 But I think but, but what, what I find so inspiring about what you're saying, uh, though, Will, is uh, how you've brought uh, different groups, organisations together uh, 
because then, as I was saying earlier on, people are, you know, we're more powerful when we stand to, together. And I think one of the things that the resist movement that, that you know, that we're involved with, mm-hmm. one of the things we're hoping to try and do is, is, is encourage people to recognize the power that's in their own hands, the power of solidarity, the power of mm. standing together and, and forcing these public, so-called public service agencies to actually, you know, do what they're supposed to be doing on behalf yeah. of the community. But unfortunately, they, it seems to me they are... They listen more to, you know, the kind of corporate uh, uh, lobbyists, uh, the, these powerful vested interests, and don't mm. pay enough attention to, to the people that they're supposed that they're there, frankly, to to serve. I don't know what your thoughts are about that. I mean, there is a gap. I think we know there is a gap between local authorities and, and communities at the moment, and it's expressed in lots of different ways. Yeah. Um, and it's really heavily expressed through housing, and that's amplified by the fact that, you know, national government has kind of got a grip on this um, and the local authorities are kind of enables them to say, well, there's not a lot we can do about this, really. You know? well, it, uh, it, but that increases the gap between the local authority and the people on the ground. What you really need is local authorities aligning with communities to say, enough of this, yeah. enough of these kinds of developments, right? We need low... I've stopped using the phrase affordable housing, yeah because <laughs> you know in housing everything is the opposite of what it means temporary accommodation is never temporary you know affordable housing yeah. is never affordable yeah. you know you could go through all of these phrases they need genuinely low-cost housing for people on average incomes and they could align with their own you know their own residents and in the, their own communities in campaigning to do that and that's one of the things we want to encourage them to do so they're on the same side you know, but that implies an obligation on the local authorities to really listen to what people are saying so that you don't wave through some planning application from a developer that's going to knock down 1,200 low-cost council houses and build 600 uh, other houses that are going to bring in higher tax and more business in your mind. You've got to start listening to what local people want. That's crucial. But they will only listen if if the community makes its voice heard on housing issues and i think it's perfectly possible to do that i think we can do that we've just got a way of we've just got to work out building that coalition and that alliance of organizations to demonstrate that it can be done is that what you're doing on the 19th is that what you're asking people to do in their local actions is to go along to their council offices and make a stand outside well what we're doing on the 9th of october is we are don't worry, um, is that we are asking people to make a point outside developments that are not producing for affordable housing, but that are going to produce Airbnbs and um, buy to leave wealth mm. investments and high rental properties. Um, we want them to go outside those developments. We want them to go outside places where they know have been long term empty properties that could be brought back into use for people to live in. And what we're asking is not not a huge thing. We want a Photoshop of your it doesn't it could be four of you it could be 40 of you saying enough is enough we've got to take action on empty homes and we've got to stop building these developments which are creating emptiness and we want to start getting a map together where we can get people doing this all around the country so october the 9th is the start of it and then we're going to roll forward from there into the new year and build local campaigns all around the country where people can express um their upset and their anger and their desire to have somewhere that's affordable to live for them that's genuinely low-cost housing so it's going to be small actions across the country 
and we're going to have a national rally uh, where you know we'll be having a, a range of speakers at the national rally. People who sponsored the, um, the, is that the in campaign. London in Islington? It's good. Well, it looks like we're going to be going online on that. I'll be yeah. honest because nobody knows what's going on with Delta yeah. today. So we, you're just kind of. Um, so we're going to be doing. So what we're going to do is we're going to be broadcasting in street protests. We're going to be bringing them into the studio like this and getting them to say, "Why are you protesting?" So that people from Manchester and people from Tower Hamlets and people who live on the coast and people who live in the countryside they can see the common interest that we all have. So That's basically me, what it is. So for me, an action for me as mm. a person, I live in a very small village. Um, if I went around the village and photographed each empty house and then put all those into a collage and said, look, there's 250 empty houses in this village. Um, yeah. that, that's the sort of thing that I could do. That would and be fantastic. If you live that's in a council estate, you know, how many of those houses are, are now, you know, you can look online, can't you? Another yeah. thing that Maureen Spinney said, um, if we could ask the local authorities what they're spending on B&B &B and housing benefits, mm. um, can we ask that? Does it mean that we have to ask for a? Uh, you you know, can FOI it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can, you can, and it's it's an absolute fortune. And you should basically, we can give you in your local area. We can tell you how many second homes there are with no permanent resident, how many empty homes. Unfortunately, we can't tell you where they are because it's GDPR. Um, but that's why it's down to community action. This stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, how many? How yeah, many? Yeah, but long your help as well. It, yeah. it just you know, if, if I knew how many were empty in Stroud and how many were second homes, etc. Yeah, I could. Ninety nine point eight percent of people in my town and village yeah. would not have that information. Would not. No, have no, no. That information. No, exactly. And I can yeah. tell you now that one in forty houses in Str the Stroud district are empty. And I can tell you yeah. the figures have gone mm. up by a lot. We have got all the data you need, borough yeah. by borough, and we can map it, right? So if people want to know um, how many empties, how many seconds, how many Airbnbs, we can let them know that. And, I, you know, that idea of a montage is a fantastic idea, right? Yeah. People should take the initiative and express it in whatever way they want. One, yeah. of, the, one of the things mm. that we're thinking of doing is putting QR codes on empty properties. So people can go up and read because everybody's used to QR codes now. Unfortunately, because of COVID, we all, we're all used to yeah. QR codes, um, and we're going to yeah. we're going to put QR codes on empty properties, and it's going to link to the national campaign, saying this is part of the problem that we need to sort out. Join the national campaign. So Didn't might the people of the road come up with that first? They maybe they did. I call um, them the people of the road. You know, they they yeah. used to put a they used to put a mark on the gatepost if you would give them a yes, uh, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. I thought you meant the QR code. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 that, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's that, I mean that 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 small start that you mentioned uh, there, Will is is you know, I mean. From small acorns, giant oak trees grow, which is one of the, our sort of mantras that we keep talking about. And in fact, the following weekend, which is on the screen, uh, the 16th and 17th of October, we have the Festival of Resistance, where we will be bringing people together uh, in Nottingham, hopefully, subject to COVID. And, uh, you know, the idea being to, uh, you know, get that sense of, of, of purpose by, by coming together and, and looking at how we can collaborate and, and take uh, you know campaigns like what you're talking about back out across the across the country because there's so many issues that we do need to be 
challenging at the moment because there's so much injustice in the country. But housing is, you know, should be a fundamental human right. And in the yeah. fifth biggest economy in the world, it's an absolute scandal uh, of, of mammoth proportions that we've got people sleeping rough, people, as we mentioned in the opening remarks, 100,000 in you know, temporary accommodation. It's just, it's just, it's just, I mean, it just shouldn't be happening. No, and, uh, and you know, we've got to bring right. pressure to bear. Yeah, we yeah, we've got to bring pressure to stop it. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, for sure. I mean, and uh, so more power to uh, to your uh, elbow. How long has your organisation been um, up and running for then, Will? Well, we, we were formed in 1992 and we went through a number right. of uh, 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 ways of campaigning. And I was kind of brought in about four years ago because I'm relatively new to the housing field. I've only been around for about four years um, to give it a much more campaigning orientation because people could see that was needed. So I've spent a lot of time trying to build links and, and, and working alongside other campaigns and organisations to get stuff going on the ground and to give it a national reflection. So we're at the, we're kind of, you know, when they talk about organisational development in its new phase, we're on the runway. And, we're you know, we want mm. this to be part of our takeoff. That's basically it. But yeah, we, we want to do it in collaboration with other people. You know, we're not into, you know, one organisation dominating no. everything because it just won't. It, these days, it doesn't work. No. No, Before indeed. we came on air, I was we were talking about the uh, the fact that shelter, the the charity that when I was a child um, would would have been the charity that you went to, mm. and they would have gone out and and locally found you somewhere to live. They would have gone and grabbed the keys off of somebody and got you somewhere to live if you didn't have anywhere to live that night. Mm. And you know, uh, and then. Now, all these years later, I I see pictures of uh, a, a shelter represent, representative wearing a huge hooded fur coat um, in the cold, collecting signatures for standing orders and direct debits uh, mm. from people mm. on the street. And in the corner of the photograph is a homeless person being um, arrested by a policeman. Mm. And, mm. and you think that tells you everything that's wrong, you know, with with big organisations that have become corporate and mm. are now just taking in money, taking in money to pay to pay their wage bill, I suppose, and not yeah. helping. Why didn't that representative what I would have done if I was that? Uh, shelter representative i would have taken my damn coat off and go and gone and given it to the homeless person wouldn't you but i i think what's what's happened is and it, it, shelter is interesting actually because they they now look like they are turning towards more campaigning activity um and i i welcome that yeah. Um, I think that shelter aren't unusual and there are many charitable organisations who have kind of grown over the years, haven't they? And they've established their own bureaucracy and then you've got to fund the bureaucracy and then you find yourself in competition with other charities in the same yeah. field. And it's all it's all gone a bit haywire, yeah, and you I think. And there's also a lot of restrictions as well, Will, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, government restrictions on what, lo what charities can do. There is. Uh, there are restrictions. And that doesn't help yeah. them either. But I think I think you know that the the charities that have weight, you know, need to engage in campaigning on the ground. Yeah, they I think that that, that would way. help. That would help an awful lot. And I think they can do it. Mm. And I think that they're you know shelter are going around employing community organisers now. 
which I think I think that's a very positive thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very much so. That's up. where we should absolutely. That's the future. It seems to me. That's where the action's yeah. at. Yeah, that's so that's that's doing. that's good, and we should encourage that. We should, you know, and we've mm. had you know a lot of shelves support for the stuff that we're doing. That doesn't mean I don't, I'm not uncritical uh, of the organisation, but it just means that in our interactions with them, there seems to be a, a, a you know they want to campaign and they want to get involved in issues more yeah. kind of yeah. on the ground, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's a great Nothing thing actually. Wrong. There's nothing wrong with being a critical friend. No, I have many critical friends, and I like them all. Listen, <laughs> 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 we've got about uh, ten minutes uh, before the um, before we have to uh, close up shop. I just wondered if there's been any uh, any comments or questions that from our from lots. our viewers. I've this been I've been introducing uh, I've been introducing them, perhaps not naming the people, but uh, I see. Right, been, right, 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 right. You know, sort of trying to introduce subjects into the conversation so it flowed. Mm. Um, when you when you look at the councils, it's a similar thing there if you go back 30 years everybody who was a councillor on the council uh came from a council house uh mm. everybody who worked at the council what whether they were tradespeople working fixing up the houses or whether they were in the office uh manning the desks um they were all people who lived in council houses and all of a sudden with with the onset of uh um houses are an asset not a home People now, if you go into your local council office, all of those people who work in there um, own their houses. So they have no idea what people are living in in, in, mm. in their council houses, if they've still got a housing portfolio, of course. And they have no idea what people are going through who live in um, letting agencies, addresses, you know, and and they have no idea. They can't relate, can they? I think you would find it very difficult to do that, and anybody would find it difficult to, to, to do that. And I think that's part of the point I was making about councils have become separated out from the local communities yeah. that they represent. And that's not to be, you know, I know councillors, and I know they work, some of them work really, really hard, actually. Yeah, um, and it's, and it's, it's more about the organisational structure and the ethos, and that yeah. it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's like a little spaceship over the community now rather than in, interrelating to it. And we've got to work out ways of addressing that. And actually one of the, one of the issues that, that came from local government reorganisation was cabinet, you know. Yeah. Um, when, you start, when you introduced the cabinet uh, office, you actually took delayed authority and responsibility, you know, and you ended up in a very peculiar situation where a number of small people were making the decisions, yeah. uh, you know, a small number of people making the decisions. And, and I think that was always meant by that. So, for example, if you look at the planning decision last night uh, about Brick Lane and the investment, yeah. uh, whether or not to accept the developer's money on, on, on Brick Lane, it was passed by two votes to one. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> no, indeed. I mean... That system, I think that system could could uh, be more effective, though, because there are mm. scrutiny committees. They can call in decisions. I think the, yeah. uh, as you were, backbench councillors could be more proactive in their communities, be the elected community champions in that sense, and, and really kind of, you know, speak up for the community. But unfortunately, far too many people end up, be, you know, becoming sort of embroiled in the sort of... Uh, the town hall bubble really you know a bit like the westminster bubble and and, and lose touch yeah. so, so i think i think there are problems with that system uh, and systems you know do, do, do make a difference but i think you know it, if there's will where there's will you know you can make you can make them work and uh i don't mm. think we should allow uh, councillors to 
or councils to you know use that as an excuse or no, 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 to more de more detached in that sense because yeah. I mean you know we can look back with rose tinted spectacles at the at the committee system I mean that wasn't <laughs> brilliant um, but well, you know we, whatever system is going to be perfect yeah, but yeah, yeah that's true it's a good mean, point yeah we had cabinet no I do take your point though about about that though it has it has made it more more remote in that sense I think so you know the public councils so. need and the scrutiny members on the scrutiny committee need to be flexing their muscles more calling in decisions yeah. and saying this is not acceptable and, yeah, and, but then and they get the lights of, of, of scrutiny on, on what they're doing. Well, there is that as well, of course, and that's sort of a <laughs> systemic problem, isn't it? That, yeah. You know, yeah. It's just, it's yeah. Towards, yeah. But, 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 but it could work. It could work, you know, uh, yeah. in, a, in a way where, you know, you, you are properly scrutinising and, uh, you know, uh, well, the the cabinet members are held, are held account. They? In you know, there's a lot of uh, changes which are brought in which have made things, you know, more, more problematic and, and made well, it gave public the responsibility institutions to less. To yeah, themselves. I mean, well, I mean, they've taken a lot of that. I mean, of course, a lot of stuff's been put into the private sector, privatisation, initially yeah. compulsory competitive tendering, and the best value, etc. And, of course, one of the – we talked earlier on, I think you were talking about uh, freedom of information, Will, at one point earlier on. And, of course, mm. uh, uh, public services which are sent out to the private sector are not subject to freedom of information, as far as I'm aware. So, no, they're that, not. That meant, you know, no, so that's another no. problem, isn't it? You know, with, no, with no, the system. No, you know. Like, there's, 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 there's development of a kind of a, a, a privatised, evolved democracy going on, which is cutting people yeah. off from the information that they need. And it's, it's yeah. quite, you know, I mean, I, I used to live in Barnet and uh, had the experience of that council. And totally unaccountable, as far as I can tell. And the company that you know they handed it over to was totally unaccountable. And you know, in terms of housing, it just means that it's almost it, it's really difficult for local people to get their hands on the lever of power and decision making in terms of housing. Mm, and that's yeah. one of the things mm. that we've got to turn around. And you know, even I'm, I'm involved in a, a campaign called the Community Plan for Holloway, which is about the redevelopment of the Holloway Women's Prison. And even with what I would say is a, a, you know, a fairly progressive housing lead and a fairly progressive council on that question, it's still really hard for the yeah. local community mm -hmm. to engage properly because you've got, you know, you've got Peabody who are a big beast. Yeah. Isn't it? And you've got, it is, oh, yeah. and, and, and you've got the Labour Council and they're, they're a big beast as well. And the thing is, is that working out how the community can get leverage on the decision making around housing is a really complicated thing, you know, yeah. and we've got to start, you know, and it's by being on the streets and making your voice heard is one part of it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, I think that, 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 that absolutely. And I think it's, it's giving people confidence and, and empowering people to, as I was saying earlier on, recognise the strength of their own collective yeah. solidarity. Because in the end, particularly for local authorities anyway, there, there is still some semblance of democracy. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. these are voters. And, uh, you know, you yeah. can exert your, your power in, in, in you know, in, in terms of, you know, lobbying and influencing in, in that way. And, then, and, you know, we've seen in certain circumstances where, you know, local groups spring up and they actually stand for election and, and replace yeah. some of these councils that were not yeah. that were not doing a you know a sufficiently good job as it were but uh, mm. that's the key it seems to me to to make uh, these bodies accountable and the best way in my opinion of doing that is empowering local communities so it's great yeah. what you've been doing at will and fantastic that these uh, 
three actions are taking place on the 9th of October and this and this uh, rally that is going to go ahead then and hopefully that will be the start of something which will grow and grow. We've got, and we're just about out of time now, but I mean, we've got our Festival of Resistance that I've mentioned and I'm hoping that, you know, we can encourage our members to, to collaborate and work together because that way, I think, through collaboration, through uh, working together, you know, we can make a difference in the end and we can bring about change and, and make these institutions you know work in the interests of the of the many not the few if i can coin a phrase and uh, you know we're seeing uh, at the moment uh, you know far too much power far too much influence is being wielded by a very tiny proportion of society and yeah. as the words of uh, percy Shelley, we need to remember that we are many and they are few and it's just giving people that confidence, I think, isn't it, that they can make a difference, that they can actually, you know, effect a change. But listen, uh, hello, and uh, uh, Lizzie, both of you, thank you. And uh, again, once again, apologies for my difficulties I experience. I'm not, I'm not particularly great with technology at the best of times, and my camera <laughs> yeah. wasn't working. And then, then, it's, then as you know, my uh, my microphone packed up. Uh, and then I was uh, kicked out of the uh, the broadcast. You know, I managed to find my way back in somehow and got my camera working. I don't know how I managed to do it, but I did. But when you were first speaking, uh, Will, I was just getting terrible feedback. I was hearing you, and then I was hearing you again. It was incredibly disconcerting. And then I went to ask a question, and then then Gaz, disembodied voice, came in and said, we've lost Chris. Can you take over, Lizzie? <laughs> I hope that hasn't spoiled uh, the enjoyment of our viewers uh, too much this evening. I think, Will, you've been a brilliant guest. Thank you so much. I hope we can it's been a pleasure. Yeah, perhaps we ought to come up as well, but we can actually work together as an as an organisation yeah. and uh, give support to to what you're doing, and, and maybe you know, as I say, collaborate with local groups in terms of you know some of these housing uh, campaigns that you are yeah. engaged with. Because uh, yeah. as I said, if you bring people I'm together, go then hopefully, can make more of a difference. And, get a, and make a montage of all the empty houses. Fantastic! Yeah, please, please do that, and 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 let us see it as soon as, and then we yeah. can say this is what's being done here. Why don't you do it where you are? Exactly, that's direct. the thing, isn't it? We and can I'm spread good, good practice. Go my council offices and say, look, join me outside the council offices. That's a good note yeah. on which to end. It, I think it's a good. <laughs> that's a great one. Absolutely. Listen, uh, we're out of time now. Thank you very much indeed uh, again, Will, for that. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Tune in next week at the same time, 7pm. Hopefully we won't have the technical difficulties that we encountered this evening, but uh, hope you have a good evening. Thanks for watching and good night.